Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. an amazing honor. So I want you to stand up on your feet because I want to introduce our new friend to Lighthouse Church. Her name is Hosanna Wong and I want you to get behind her church because she is an awesome author. She's a spoken word artist and she is a phenomenal preacher. So she's going to bring a word today to you. So let's get behind her and let's show her some Lighthouse love. church. You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. Hey, I'm so excited to be with you guys today. I have loved meeting your community, Pastor Josh and Joanna, and just getting to know you people. I know I am here at the home of some of the realest pastors, some of the tiniest, cutest cold brew cups in the world. How tiny is this? I feel like a giant and some of the strongest shoe game I've ever seen in any church in my life. So I'm honored to be in such a special house. Hey, can I pray really quick? Would that be okay? I don't typically pray before I preach, you know, because I'm like half holy. But, um, you know, your pastors and your staff were telling me a little bit about the journey of this church. And just in case you didn't know, that's not normal. What you guys went through as a church and the faithfulness and the consistency of what you went through to see God move in ways that humans can't for your church. So if it's cool, I just want to open up praying for your pastors and your leadership for God's favor to continue in this church. Is that okay? God, right now, I just thank you for the favor you've already given to Lighthouse Church. And I pray that continued favor continues to shower down on this church, that you would give financial blessings to this church, relational blessings to this church. God, that you would bless Pastor Josh and Joanne and the whole staff with new ideas with new strategies, with new joy, with new rest, with new hope, that we'd be able to reach our families in ways we never thought we could, our city in ways we never thought we could, and that you would just bless this church in ways, God, that we don't even see coming. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey. My name is uh, Hosanna Wong. If you were raised in church, you might be familiar with the name Hosanna. We were raised singing songs like Hosanna in the highest. So sometimes when people see me come and preach at a church, they think I'm about to sing. They think a Chinese worship leader is here to sing some tunes. Something between Hillsong and Crazy Rich Asians is about to happen. Right now, that's not at all what's about to happen. I love how you said grandpa's coming. Next week, your Chinese little sister is here this week. So I'm gonna bring a word and I'm so excited to share with you something that's that's on my heart you know I want to really talk to you about something that I've gotten really wrong in my life I've gotten a lot of things wrong I've been trying to follow Jesus for some time right now and I've gotten a lot of things wrong and something that I've perhaps gotten wrong the most in my life is how to naturally talk about Jesus to the people right next to me How do I live a faith that is authentic and real and also show it to the people right next to me in 2021, in my real life? Not how I heard people led people to Jesus 50 years ago, but in my real life, is there a way to make Jesus known or do I keep this to myself? Because if you're anything like me, perhaps you have seen people talk about Jesus really wrong. 
Has any, oh man, every, and then every head is like this. Perhaps some of us have seen people talk about Jesus or talk about Christ or talk about church in a way that was really mean, that was really aggressive, that was really condescending, that was really judgmental, that was really impersonal. Some of us still see it in our lives. We see it on social media. We see it in our own homes. And for some of us, if you're new to this church thing or new to this God thing, you're checking this out online, you're like, for sure. That's why I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I think it's because so many of us have seen it done so wrong. We're nervous about doing it at all. Because at the very least, even all spiritual things aside, we at least really want to have friends. So we're thinking if the only way to talk about Jesus is to be aggressive and mean and loud, I don't think I want to have anything to do with that. But then I think is the only option for the people in my life to not know how loved they are. Something about me, if you've never met me before, Jesus has set me free from a life of eating disorders, of addiction, of guilt, and depression. And when I think about not talking about Jesus, I think, do I just have the answer to people's questions, but because I'm so afraid of a no, that I just don't want to talk to them about it at all? I know how free my friends can be. I know how healed my roommate can be. I know how whole my family can be because Jesus has set me free, but I just don't want to talk to them at all about I have the answers to their questions but I'm not going to share him at all so are these my two options to be aggressive and loud and mean or silent and the problem with those two options is that neither of them reveal to the world how loved they are neither of those options tell people how valuable they are and how healed and whole they can be so what is the truth about how we can reveal God's love to the people right next to us I'm gonna share a message that's really burning in my heart about the reality of the truth of how we can reveal God's love in 2021. In the modern world, how the people in your family who don't know Jesus can know Jesus. How the people in your school and even in our church and in your community can know Jesus. And I wanna share with you a message your pastors are letting me share that I've never shared at a church before. It's actually based on a book that's coming out in August. It's not available yet, but if I have two copies here that are not the final copies. There are still typos in these copies. So don't go on Amazon and say, this girl can't spell. These are two first drafts of it. But is there anyone in this room that says, there's someone in my life that I really want to know Jesus, but I don't know how to show them Jesus? Would you raise your hand and I'm gonna give you this book. In the pink with the glasses, I'd like to give you this book. Would you give this to her? Is there anybody else that says, I want to fight for someone I love, but I don't know how. This book is for you. Would you take it? This is my new book coming out called How Not to Save the World. It turns out I'm an expert at how not to save the world because I've done it all wrong. In fact, this message is based on that book. So if you hate this talk, give that book to someone you hate. That'll show them. If you're watching online, you can pre-order on Amazon. I really appreciate you letting me share this message with you. The truth about how we can reveal God's love in 2021. I want to tell you a story. There once was a man. He preached on the streets of San Francisco for over 20 years. He led hundreds and thousands of those living without homes and those battling with addiction to Jesus every week those 20 years. It's an incredible story. He would go to the basketball court with all these gangbangers and young thugs, and he would say, hey, if I make all these free throws more than you, you got to go to church with me. And they'd say, okay, old man, let's see those free throws. So he would practice his free throws all the time. Basketball evangelism is this whole other thing. 
He would pray over people and they would throw their heroin needles to the ground. They would shatter their alcohol bottles to the ground, lift their hands and surrender, and they'd become a part of the church. They'd start being mothers and fathers. They would lead women's homes. They would leave recovery programs. They would go out to change the world. For 20 years, this man preached on the streets of San Francisco, leading those that other people had given up on to Jesus. It's a remarkable story for sure. But for many of us, we hear stories like that and we'll root that guy on, but we know we can never live a life like that. Or we have no interest to live a life like that. That is just not our personality. That is just not what we're like. We couldn't take on something like that. So what about the people like us who are normal? What about the people like us who aren't aggressive? Like I'm not an aggressive person. Every person in this tent knows that they could take me if they wanted to. I'm a normal person. So when I hear stories like that, Is that the only way to lead people to Jesus? Something spectacular like that. I wanna tell you another story. There once was a woman named Mrs. Lee. She was the wife of a dentist who practiced in the Twin Peaks district. And one day she was just doing her chores like she always did. And she heard a knock at the door and she opened it. And there was a young man standing there asking if he could sell her a vacuum cleaner and she bought it. Before there was Facebook and YouTube tutorials, door-to-door salesmen were the original Instagram influencers. So this guy was trying to sell it, and she was like, you know, I don't need a vacuum cleaner, but she opened her door, she invited him to her dining room table, she gave him a glass of water, and she asked him about his life. And though he was hesitant to talk about his life, at first he had just never really been asked about himself. He really didn't have someone interested in him before, so he started telling her how he had been a heroin addict for 15 years, how he had mistreated women, how he owed a lot of money to men, how he had been a pimp, how he had been a gangbanger, and how he was sure there was no way for him to turn his life around. And Mrs. Lee responded with no shock, and she spoke to him with no shame. And instead of thinking of all the things that they had that were different, she found something that they had in common. And she found that they had in common this void that they both sought for years to fill. She started telling him about the years that she sought to fill the void in her heart, not feeling like she was enough, going to her own vices, going to her own things, and how she sought also to fill this void of, am I good enough? Am I valuable enough? Am I worthy enough? And in that moment, these two strangers found this common bond together. This commonality showed that they had more in common than they thought. And then she told them about the person that filled that void. She said, I wanna tell you about Jesus. After I invited him into my life, I've never been more whole, I've never been more healed, I've never been more free. Now I have more joy than I ever had and more peace than I ever had and I'm resilient, I don't fear the future. And now that thing that you and I share in common, that void is filled for me. Would you like to change your life? And with a simple prayer and a salesman on one knee, that young man dedicated his whole life to Christ. Now, it's not as spectacular of a story. Up until this Sunday, no one's ever heard the story of Mrs. Lee. And Mrs. Lee didn't know that five years later, that man would be the man leading hundreds and thousands on the streets of San Francisco to Christ. And Mrs. Lee didn't know that 40 years after that, I'd get to be at Lighthouse Church telling you about the day she led my dad to Christ. 
Now, I don't know if Mrs. Lee ever led someone to the Lord before that time, and I don't know if she ever did after that, but I know she opened the door for this one man this one time, and maybe God only asked of her that. And I know for every time my father receives a crown for leading someone to God, she in turn will be receiving one too, because everyone wants to be the next Billy Graham, but someone had to preach to Billy Graham too. Not all of us are going to lead people to Christ by the thousands. Not all of us are going to lead people in recovery by the hundreds, but I wouldn't get to be preaching here if it wasn't for Mrs. So when I think about how I can make a difference in this world and love the people right next to me, I try to think about her, about how she opened the door and she sat at a table and she told the truth. Another way to say it is that she made an invitation and she had a conversation and she shared her story. In fact, Jesus exemplified a life of that. When Jesus came into the world to save us of all of our sins, he actually didn't come because he thought the world needed more egocentric leadership. He came because the world was broken and he thought the world can use some more friends. And throughout Jesus' life, we see story after story of him getting people that other people had dismissed, inviting people that other people had totally forgotten about or rejected, people with broken homes, with broken marriages, people who were bad parents, people who had lived lives of sin, people who were cheating in their families, who were snitches, who were tax collectors trying to take money from their own family. And Jesus was constantly making invitations to eat with him. And he was having conversations with people. And he was sharing his story. When I asked my dad at 11 years old, who led you to Jesus? My dad just kind of brushed it off and laughed and said, this woman I try to sell a vacuum cleaner to. It's not that good of a story. But for me, it changed everything for me. Because for so much of my life, and continuously, even after that, I have believed so many lies about myself and my potential and my purpose and my calling. I thought I had to do something impressive to do something impactful. I thought I had to do something big to do something important. I thought that some people have these spectacular stories and those are the ones that change the world. But what happens when my story is ordinary? What happens when it's too different or not different enough? What happens when there's so much shame because of the things I've done and the things that I've seen? What happens when I have guilt for things I did 10 years ago? What happens when I'm not proud of where I'm from, where my family's from, or my race, or my heritage? What happens when I want to silence my story? I used to believe the lie that there were people who were called to preach the gospel on the other sides of the world, but there was no way for my aunt or my little brother or my roommate to ever know Jesus. What happens if I want a life like Mrs. Lee? that can just open the door for the people right next to me or life like my dad, where I can lead many to Jesus, but I am just not smart enough or skilled enough or spiritual enough to seal the deal. How will we reveal God's love to the people right next to us in 21? It is going to take us having a real relationship with God. We won't be able to fake this. And it's gonna take us having real relationships with the people right next to us. We won't be able to fake those either making invitations, having conversations, and sharing our stories. We're going to have to live the way that God demonstrated to us to live. God did not stay above us. He came to be with us, not to be far away from the dirt of what we're going through, not to be above us and talk down about the dirt that we're going through, but he sent Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. But why would the people in our lives believe us about a God that wants to be with us if we don't even want to be with them? Why would the people in our lives believe us that there's a God that loves them if we don't even love them? 
If we actually want to reveal God's love in the modern age with all the pain that our families are going through, with all the real things our world and our cities are going through, it is going to take us having real relationship with God and real relationships with others. The truth about revealing God's love is that it's not going to be us saying statements that sound super spiritual but don't serve people where they really are. The truth about revealing God's love is that it's not going to be us being aggressive on social media when people don't agree with us. The truth about revealing God's love is that it's not going to be shaming people who we think aren't living up to our own moral codes. Instead, it's going to be loving them like God loves them. Romans 5, 8 says that even while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. So how are we going to be able to show God's love to people? Before they love us, we love them. Before they choose us, we choose them. And I want to show you how this has been demonstrated in my own life. Because I want us to crush the lies that the enemy is having victory in our lives and in our churches, that there's no way for your loved ones to know Jesus. That's a lie. I want us to crush the lie that there's no way for your family members to know Jesus. They're a lost cause. You might as well stop praying for them. You might as well stop talking about Jesus to them. I want to crush the lie that there's no way for your neighbors to know Jesus. You know they would never be into anything religious. There's no way for your little brother to know, for your wife to know. There's no way for the people on social media to know. There's no way for your best friend to know Jesus, so you might as well give up. I want to speak truth to the lies that the enemy has convinced us that we no longer need to share about the hope found in Jesus, that it's a lost cause, that our prayers don't matter, that our life doesn't matter because this is the truth through faithfully studying God's word and fumbling through my own flawed progress I've discovered something better the truth about what God's word says which is that you can fight for the people that you love the truth is that you can say yes to what God is calling you to do without fear of failing. The truth is that the details of your life story, who you are, what you love, and what you've been through are exactly what God wants to use for this exact moment in time. The truth is that there is a way for every single person we know to know how loved they are by God. And what I am believing for is a reignited passion within Christ's followers to know Jesus for real and make him known. So how can we cultivate true connection? How can we cultivate true connection with the people in our lives that we go to school with, who we've decided will never know Jesus, who are in our own homes that we've decided will just never know Jesus? How do we cultivate true connection? When I was 18 years old and my baby brother Elijah was 12, our daddy, who was a recovered heroin addict, got cancer and died. And, you know, we're, we're Christ-following family. So me and my sister and my mom, you know, we're trying to be very spiritual about this and trying to use our testimony for good. But my brother was the realist. My brother was sad. He just shut down. We couldn't communicate to him. He was 12 years old and had just lost his dad. So no sermon was going to make him feel better. No saying God's going to use your testimony one day is going to make him feel better. So though we try to preach at him and try to convince him to stand up for God in this moment, my 12-year-old brother shut down emotionally. He wouldn't talk to us. And in that moment, I discovered the perfect way of how not to talk to people who are hurting. I realized that I was been so bad at talking to people who were hurting, who were struggling with finding a job, who had been heartbroken. I realized that my roommate in college, whose boyfriend had broken up with her, I had just given her all these monologues about all the things she needed to do instead of sitting with her, crying with her, laying on the floor, listening to Taylor Swift songs with her, saying, you're too good for him anyway, and you are never getting back together, like ever. I should have been there with my friend listening to Taylor Swift songs. 
And here I was with my brother, and he wouldn't talk about our dad. He wouldn't talk about God. How do you talk to someone in your life that's in your family who won't talk to you about Jesus, who knows what you're trying to do and you can't fool them? How can you talk to them about Jesus? How can you cultivate true connection? I was in college seven years away. I was a freshman in college, and I would call Elijah, and he wouldn't talk to me. Call Elijah, and he wouldn't talk to me. But he would talk about comic books. He loves superheroes. Now, I liked superheroes, like in a normal person, shallow kind of way. Like, I'd watch the movies. But people who love comic books, like, love comic books. It's a whole other thing. And so he's, I would call him, and he said, well, you know. And he would just talk to me about his comic books. He wouldn't talk about anything else but DC Comics. Eventually got into Marvel, because, you know, the movies are better. But originally, it was DC Comics. And then I just had to figure out, how do I communicate with my brother? How do I keep having a relationship with my brother? I'm so mad at him that he won't listen to me. I'm so mad at him that he won't believe me. I'm so mad at him that he doesn't want a relationship with me. And I realized I'm going to have to start getting into comic books. <laughs> I became obsessed with superheroes with him. I would call him and we couldn't talk about dad or God, but we would talk a lot about Green Lantern and all the worlds and Batman, because you know, those are the best villains, Joker over everything, am I right? We would talk about the villains, we would talk about the superheroes, we would talk about it, and it was years after years after years of me getting into superhero comic books with my brother. When Marvel started doing movies, I would drive seven hours to watch the premiere of Marvel movies with him. We'd get the biggest comic book, we'd wear our superhero shirts. I became obsessed with comic books with him. And over the years, we continued this relationship that no one else in our family had. And it was years later when I was in my hometown of San Francisco watching. Uh, we weren't watching. We were outside of the San Francisco Giants Stadium as they were in the middle of a playoff game. I know it's been some time. But we used to be in the playoffs. And I was there but near the Giants Stadium. And we were walking around because we couldn't afford tickets. But we had a handheld radio and a chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream on our cone. We were walking around. And outside the stadium, we were just there listening to the crowd. And I said, Elijah, how do you feel today? And all of a sudden, he answered me. For the first time in years, he told me how he felt. And he said, I'm mad. It was like the world stopped. My brother just told me an emotion he had. And he said, I'm mad. And I was just like... I didn't know what to say. I didn't have the spiritual words. There is no guide to how to perfectly help people who are hurting. You're going to have to have a real relationship with them if you're going to want to do that. But I knew what not to say, so I was just, I'm just going to listen. And I'm just going to validate his every emotion. I'm mad too. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. That was wrong. This does stink. And has, as he's crying, telling me his deepest regrets, the things he wished he would have said, the things he wished he would have done, the events he missed, I just sat there with my arm around him and we just cried as our ice cream now turned into chocolate chip cookie dough milk. <laughs> Listening to the crowds, I'm pretty sure that was like the last playoff game the Giants ever won. So it was a very special moment. And we just kept having a relationship. That's all that happened that day. Over the years, he stopped loving the, Golden, he stopped loving the Giants and just started loving the Golden State Warriors. It was a good time to start liking the Golden State Warriors at that point. We started getting into basketball. Then I married my husband. Now his name is Guy, and my husband had to become obsessed with superheroes with us. Now Disney owns everything. Now we're obsessed with Star Wars. Now we're doing all these things. We're wearing all these things. We're watching all these things. And it was nine years from the day that I had chocolate chip cookie dough milk with my brother in front of the stadium where he finally told me he was mad. Nine years from that day where we invited Elijah over to our house in San Diego. We moved here two years ago and sat at my dining room table. And Elijah said, I think I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Wow. 
he said, we're from the same place, but you're, you're happier and you're stronger and you have more faith and you have more joy and more peace. And I know it's Jesus that you have, so I want that. And he had done some things he wasn't proud of and he wasn't sure who he was. And he said, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And you know what? In that moment, I want to tell you what this moment was actually like in real life because it was not like the movies. And this wasn't like when Mrs. Lee sat at a table with my dad and there was this instant moment when this guy's life was changed for forever and now he's leading hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus. No, this was 13 years of a relationship. And there were so many moments where I was mad at Elijah. Mad at Elijah that he wasn't changing at the timeline that I wanted him to change at. Mad at Elijah that I was praying for him every day, but he would never call me. I always had to call him. Mad at Elijah that he wasn't more healed and whole faster. Mad at Elijah that he wasn't stepping into my world. And then I had to learn. I had to step into his. I couldn't be so mad at this young boy who was hurting that he wasn't meeting me where I am. I had to step into his world and meet him where he was. For so many of us, this is what it's like for people in our lives that don't care about Jesus or don't care about what you have to say about Jesus. We get mad at them that they don't have our moral codes. We get mad at them they don't see the world the way we see the world. But God was not mad at us when he sent Jesus to come be with us. He said someone's going to have to be in the dirt with them. Someone's going to have to do life with them. It's not going to be enough for the Savior of the world to just be a God. He's going to have to also be a human. The power of commonality was so important that Jesus had to be a human with us. And I want you to know there are people in your life that you are perfectly positioned to lead to Jesus. You are perfectly positioned because of who you are, your personality, what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you like and what you don't like, that you are their best chance to know Jesus. It might not be a preacher telling them in the middle of a tent. It may not be Pastor Josh. It may not be some Christian event you want to invite them to. It might be you doing life with them for 13 years and them saying, I trust you. You were with me when nobody else was with me. You might be saying, what is the formula? What are the words you said to Elijah? What's the formula? Because I'll do the formula. Give me the memorized speech. It's not going to be a memorized speech. If you want the perfect plan of how to lead everyone to Jesus, I don't have it. But I do know that there's someone in your life that needs to know that they're not alone. There is someone in your life now that needs to know that they are not alone. So I don't have a formula, but I have a step. I have a step for all of us. When we're trying to think of what are the perfect words to say, how can I come off the most loving? Here's a step. Care more about the person you're talking to than the words that you're saying to them. Love the person you're talking to more than you love what you're saying. And that authentic love for them will help you speak with real love, reveal real love, live with real love. And then one day, if we all do that, we will be surrounded by a world of people who all know how loved they are. And don't we want to be a part of that? Don't we want to be a part of creating a world where every single person knows how loved they are and how valuable they are to God? Elijah would not step into my world. I had to step into his. And I am so glad I never stopped praying for him. And I just want to say that right now. The people that you've given up praying for, start praying for them again. The people that you've written off as a lost cause that will never know Jesus, start praying for them again. Check in on them again. For some people, you will be the first taste they have of what it's like for someone to love them like that. For some of them, that will open a door because they've never even been loved that much. We need to love people before they love us. Before they step into our world, we have to step into theirs. We want to make invitations, we want to have conversations, and finally, we want to share our story.
Finally, we wanna share our story, and this is the story that I wanna end with today. We need to share our story, but for many of us, our story will be the hardest part because for some of us, we have a lot of shame in our past. We did some things we weren't proud of. There's things we don't want everyone to know. Some of us have shame in what we've done, shame in what people have said to us, and sharing our story might be a moment of shame, something we're not sure we can open up about. For some of us, we think my story's not very extraordinary. I'm just a very normal person. There's nothing in my story that would really help anybody, and for some of us, we're embarrassed about things for, of ourselves. I've lived for years ashamed of my story. Even when I started preaching on stages and traveling the country 10 years ago, there were parts of my story I was so ashamed about that I wouldn't say on stages. For years, I was also a spoken word artist, not just a preacher. And so for years, because I was ashamed of my Asian heritage, I had never seen an Asian woman on some of the bills I was getting to speak on. And I didn't want that to be a roadblock in my career. I went by the name Hosanna Poetry instead of the name Hosanna Wong. I was so ashamed of my story, I tried to keep it back as far as I could. I was ashamed of where my dad was from, the family I come from, that I don't really come from anything, that my daddy was an addict. And because of that, I try to leave that part of my story out of it. I've gone through a journey of trying to realize what is the power of my story that's mostly just shame, that's mostly just different. What can my story do for anybody? And I wanna tell you a story that I've read in the Bible for most of my life, and there's a part in it that I've always missed that has transformed what I think about the power of my story and your story. And I really do believe that it is when we make invitations, have conversations, and share our stories in our everyday lives, that's how we will see people souls saved and lives healed by the power of Jesus. So I wanna share this story with you. There's a story in the Bible of Jesus losing one of his dear friends. One of his friends dies. His name was Lazarus. And because Jesus loved him, he wept and he cried. He went to be with the family, all the sisters, because he was, you know, part of the family. So they had to all be together, eat together. They were probably Hispanic. It was a whole family event. <laughs> and they were all together. And because Jesus is Jesus, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So now Lazarus is alive, and Jesus and Lazarus are walking around now around town. They're going to their old favorite restaurants. They're inviting people. They're having conversations with people. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, someone who was dead but is now alive, is walking with Jesus. And we know how this story goes. Even when you're raised in Sunday school, they tell you this part before you have Cheez-Its and watch Veggie Tales. You know that there was a good guy named Jesus and bad guys who were trying to kill Jesus. They were trying to grab Jesus. They were trying to be rid of Jesus and eventually kill him. We know that part of the story, right? But... Jesus was not the only person they were after. Jesus was not the only person they wanted to kill. They said it won't be enough if we kill Jesus. Say what? It's not enough if you kill Jesus? I thought their whole plan was to kill Jesus. But it wasn't enough to kill Jesus. I used to always miss this part. John 12 verse 9. Word spread of Jesus' presence and a large crowd was gathering to see Jesus and the formerly deceased Lazarus, whom he had brought back from the dead. The chief priests were secretly plotting Lazarus's murder, since because of him, many Jews were leaving their teachings and believing in Jesus. Lazarus was once dead, and now he's alive and him walking around is indisputable proof that Jesus can raise the dead. So when these guys were out trying to kill Jesus, they said, we need to kill Jesus. He says he's the savior of the world. We have to kill him. They said, it wouldn't be enough to kill Jesus. We also have to destroy the proof of his power. 
we can't let this guy walk around because here people are not sure about Jesus, not sure Jesus is who he said he is. And we're sitting at a restaurant and now across we see Lazarus. Now we're not sure about Jesus, but I was at that guy's funeral last week. And now Lazarus is over there eating the same food I'm eating. There's indisputable proof because Lazarus is still alive. And Lazarus was a threat to everything the enemy wanted to do because the enemy didn't want people to believe that Jesus could heal lives. The enemy didn't want people to believe that Jesus was the savior of the world. The enemy didn't want people to believe that the blind could be healed, that the walk, that those who were lame could walk again. He didn't want anyone to believe that the dead could be raised alive but there was a problem even if they destroyed Jesus there was still Lazarus walking around and the proof of Jesus's power lied in Lazarus's story and this was not just about Lazarus threats to the enemy's plan were every single part of those cities because there were those who had been blind but now could see and there were those who could never walk that are now running in the streets there were those who had broken marriages who had broken homes who had been in addiction those who had irrevocable reputations that had found Jesus now they were whole and they were healed and they were made alive again there was indisputable proof the more stories that were being told the more there was proof of Jesus's power. I want you to know that this story isn't just about Lazarus. This story is about every single one of us, every single one of us who was once dead in our sins, living in addiction, going to other things to find solace. But then we found Jesus and he healed our hearts and he changed our lives. And now we're leading recovery groups. Now we're telling other people our story. You have to keep Lazarus alive. It's about every single one of us that might have been known for gossiping, known for being divisive, known for tearing other people down, but then we found Jesus. And now we're reconciling relationships. Now we're forgiving people. Now we're encouraging people. Now we're using our words to lift people up. And now other people see your life is different. You're a different person. The proof of Jesus' story lies in the telling of your story. You have to keep Lazarus alive. It's about every single one of us who used to be known for being negative, who used to be known for being mean, who used to be known for being judged judgmental and then we had Jesus and we realized that we could be loving and forgiving and people see your story and you keep Lazarus alive people at your school might not be sure about Jesus but then you walk into the room and you tell your story people on social media might not be sure about Jesus but then you're posting online telling your story people at Thanksgiving dinner might not be sure about Jesus but as you're more free than you've ever been more joyful than you've ever been more peaceful than you've ever been the story is alive the proof of Jesus's power lies in the telling of your story so the enemy wants you to believe that there's no way for your family members to know Jesus. The enemy wants you to believe that there's no way for your loved ones to ever come to Christ. The enemy wants you to believe that your story is not important, that your story doesn't matter, that it's too different or it's not different enough, that it's not powerful enough, that it's not good enough, that your consistent relationships aren't enough. So you might as well give up having them and give up praying for them. Don't believe the lies that the enemy is trying to feed into our lives. Keep Lazarus alive. Keep your story alive. Keep praying. The truth is that you can fight for the people you love. You can say yes to what God is calling you to do without fear of failing. And the truth is that when God saw the world in 2021, when he saw the brokenness in our world and the brokenness in our families and the brokenness in our communities, and he said, what's my plan to tell a broken world how loved they are? He made you. He said, it's this personality with this background, with this story that's going to reach these people. You know, it's going to have to be you. It's going to have to be you sharing the story. You've been set free from shame that will relate to other people with similar stories. It's going to have to be you. He said, the people are you and the time is now. The mission is clear. The people are us. The time is now. There is a way for every single person we know to know who Jesus is. And we here 
are God's plan for them to know. We have to keep telling our stories. Keep Lazarus alive. The enemy couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. Don't let him have victory by keeping your story buried either so that everyone may know him. We have to make invitations, have conversations, find commonality, have consistent relationships, and share our stories. I'm going to pray for each and every one of us before we close, and I have a very specific prayer I'm going to pray before we close and, and close out in worship. I want to pray for your relationships. I want to pray for your relationships because I know even as I'm sharing this talk about leading people to Jesus or showing God's love, man, so many of our relationships are, are complicated and are broken. And some of them, we don't even know how to talk to them about anything, much less Jesus. Some of us have given up on praying for some of our loved ones. Some of us are just sure we're never going to share our story because it really isn't impactful like my dad's or Mrs. Lee's. And I just want to pray against the lies the enemy is having victory in and under this tent. Because I believe there's a way for everyone to know him. What's the other plan? For our loved ones just to not know how loved they are? For them not to be hanging out with Jesus at the end of their lives with us? What's our plan? I'm believing for a reignited passion within us to share the story of Jesus. I still have loved ones like my baby brother Elijah that I'm praying for every day. They have to know. And I'm perfectly positioned to tell them. So I'm going to pray over our relationships, that there would be healing in relationships where they said there would never be healing. That there'd be victory in relationships where people said there would never be victory. That people in your life that you thought would never know Jesus would come to know Jesus. I'm going to pray for healing over your relationships. I'm going to pray for open doors for you to share the story of Jesus. And I'm going to pray for courage for us to walk through those doors when they opened. And if you are someone that is saying, I want people in my life to know how loved they are, and I want you to pray over me so I know how, would you stand to your feet and I'm gonna pray for you. For anyone that, I'm gonna pray for your relationships. You know someone who doesn't know Jesus and you don't wanna give up on them. You know someone who doesn't know Jesus and you're saying, I will not give up on them. I will not give up on them. I will not stop praying for them. I care about the people in my life who are far from God. I will not give up on them. I'm gonna pray for each and every single one of us. If that's you, would you just stand and pray this along with me as I'm gonna pray over you. In your own heart, you just tell God, I will not give up on those far from God. Think of the people specifically in your life that don't know God that you want to reveal his love to. I want you to think about specific people. I'm gonna pray about the specific people in my life too. God, I just pray for healing in our relationships. I pray for healing in our relationships where perhaps we've broken them or they've been broken to us. I pray for reconciliation, that we would forgive the people we need to forgive, that we would apologize to the people we have to apologize to. And in the name of Jesus, I pray for healing in places where people said there would be no healing. I pray for reconciliation in places where people said there would be no reconciliation. I pray for victory in families where people said there would be no victory. And I pray, God, that you would help us cultivate true connection with the people in our lives. Show us how to step into their world and fight for the relationships. Not fight to be right, but fight for the relationships, God. Would you reignite a new fire within us to make you known in our lifetimes, Jesus? We want everyone we know to come with us when we see you at the end of our lives. We will not stop, God, until every person we know knows how loved they are by you. So would you give us open doors? Open doors in our families, open doors in our workplaces, open doors in our communities for us to share the story of Jesus. Would you give us open doors and would you give us the courage 
the courage to walk through those doors, God. Give us the courage and the words to walk through those doors when you open them for the glory of God and for the saving of souls. Amen. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.